0: This week on Punch Mountain, martial arts legends Michelle Yeoh and Cynthia Rothrock guest star on an explosive new episode of The Three Stooges. Don't swallow that microfilm because we're watching Yes, Madam, Punch Mountain starts now.
1: Hello and welcome to Punch Mountain, the podcast where we review action movies one by one to discover the definitive ranking of action movies. Not determined by us, but by the action gods themselves. Look, we don't make the mountain, we just climb it. My name is Mac Blake. I'm joined as always by, yes sir himself, Mr. David Hata. David, how are you?
0: Special Inspector of
1: Laughs. How are you doing, Mac Blake? Oh, I'm uh, CID, David. You know what that stands for? No, I don't. Neither do I, but they sure do say it a lot in this movie. Criminal Investigation Department, I guess? Okay, I get that. Yeah, so you're a Criminal Investigation Department. I got it. I, I don't know. But of course, David, we're talking about this movie Is Yes Madam from 1985. We watched it. What did you? Uh, opening thoughts about this thing? I'm looking forward to talking about it. You know,
0: generally, I'll, I'll let people in, Mac, a little bit, because uh, normally before these episodes, I'm a little nervous. I want to make sure I do these movies justice. I want to make sure, you know, I treat them with the seriousness and with the respect that they deserve. This week, I'm not so nervous, Mac. I think I'm going to be just fine. I'm going to crack open a cold one, <laughs> and I'm going to kick back and enjoy talking about Yes,
1: Madam. It's weird that that fresca says... Non-diet fresca. They could have just said fresca. Well,
0: it's got the three X's on it too, so that means it's, uh, wait, that's porn. It's got the two X's on it, so that means it's alcohol. No,
1: that's pretty good.
0: Why are you not nervous about this movie? Because, you know, there's nothing to break down. There's no themes. There's no, you know, there's no meaning behind it. There's no metaphors or analogies. It's just kicking ass for 87 to 93 minutes.
1: I don't know, David. I think Carl Jung might have something to say about the fact that the three most annoying characters in this movie are all... Named after medicine? I don't even. It's a scathing takedown of the
0: pharmaceutical industry.
1: I guess. But yes, madam, yes, it is very fun and it is very silly, sometimes too silly. It's cool to see Michelle Yao. David, you said, is it Yao or Yo? I'm saying Yo. I haven't heard otherwise, but I could certainly be wrong. oh You know, I was for sure it was Michelle Yao, but now I don't know. I saw everything everywhere at all at once. She can clearly still kick ass at 59, but it was very cool to see her back in the day in her prime, like. One woman stunt showcase form. You know what I mean. Like she could still uh, totally serve some dude his head. But in this movie, she's like a human pinball. It was, it was great to see those scenes. So, David, the title of the movie is Yes, Madam, which is what other characters say to Michelle Yao's character because she's like their boss. So it's kind of like that idea of normally they would say Yes, Sir, but instead because it's a woman, they say Yes, Madam. It's kind of like that uh, that movie, like Mr. Mom. What? <laughs> a woman can be a cop. What? A dad can actually give a shit about raising his kids. What? I mean, I guess like movies like this had to happen sometime. You know what I mean? But you would hope that they would kind of happen before the 80s, before the idea of like, it's weird that a woman would have a position of authority in the police department. But anyway.
0: You know, it's funny you mentioned that because I was talking with a friend of mine about that part in Avengers Endgame when all the lady superheroes get together. And it's like, let's go girls. And my friend was sort of, you know, cynical about that. And he was like, why did that movie have to do that? And I was like, because you didn't watch Yes, Madam. That's why. We could have done this 30 years ago. We could have had our girl power moment and evolved from it.
1: Yeah, I was looking. I did not do a whole lot of research in this movie. I wish I I wish I wish had time to because it's um, everything I find is, is like, whoa, what? But it was talking about how this movie started the quote-unquote girls with guns genre. And again, what? Why? A, a woman has a gun that's not a genre. I don't get it. You know what I mean? In
0: my recollection... The girls with guns genre is sort of like an Andy Sedaris, like hard ticket to Hawaii, return to Savage Beach. Like that's my idea with girls with guns. These girls kept their clothes on. This is nowhere near girls with guns. It's just women kicking ass.
1: Well, first of all, imagine if there's a genre called men with guns, how many movies would fit in that category? All of them. Uh, Also, David, Andy Sedaris, he said that his movies phoned to the three Bs, which I believe were bullets, bombs, and boobs, if I remember correctly. That's right. There you go. Okay, David, for the past- few episodes we've been doing like a faq right we've been answering the questions that google says are frequently asked but in this case when you type yes madam no faq pops up but there are however customer reviews of it okay so yes madam while being a 1985 action crime movie apparently it's also some sort of women's beauty or skincare franchise? Okay. So the first review here of Yes Madam 1985 says, Michelle Yo can fight and she's teamed up with American Ass Kicking Soccer Mom, Cynthia Rothrock, etc. But if you look at the next review, it says, Vita S has been coming to me for tears now. Her hand is really good with waxing. Now have to wait when she's not available. Must try. Okay. Sapna says, I've used Yes Madam Bangalore. Kavita S is a premium service provider. Very neat and clean service. She is great for waxing, facial threading, and Manian pedicure. Recommend her service. So there you go, David you learn a little about a movie, and then you learn that Kavita's got a steady hand when it comes to ripping off your pubes.
0: I think we just gave reviews for an actual madam. (laughs) Yes, madam. It's the best madam service I've had.
1: Seems like she's very helpful, not just in terms of organizing who you're going to have sex with. She can also, you know, do your your brows, give you mani-pedi. Thank God. David, before we see two skilled warriors fight against organized crime and the glass ceiling, let's break through our own glass ceiling of friendship. David Hada, how the hell are you? man, I'm doing all
0: right. Seems like one of those uneventful weeks where nothing's going on in the world and everything's just going at a cool breeze. How about you, Mac Blake?
1: I'm a little sick at the moment, but otherwise I'm doing A-OK. I was also uh, heartened to get an email, right? Someone's dropped us a line at punchmountain.gmail.com. And that person is Mr. Dustin S. So This question, David, is in response to our uh, inventory episode where we examine in-depth why Sylvester Stallone's character in Cliffhanger called Michael Rooker's character Captain Hot Tub. Mm, Okay. Dustin says, I'm probably misremembering, but didn't Michael Rooker's character mess up his knee getting out of a hot tub and Stallone's character is giving him shit? I guess I'm a cliffhanger stand now. What the fuck? Why would I know this information? Well, David Hada, I checked the script. Dustin is right. Like the first time it's mentioned, uh, Michael Rooker's character says he he sprained his knee. Yeah, and so Janine Turner's character says something like, oh, is this like the time you... uh." tweaked your knee or whatever climbing out of the hot tub. So yes, it does reiterate that he hurt his knee in a hot tub, but I still think he was knocking boots in there, David.
0: Well, both things can be true, can they not? I mean, he can have hurt it in, an, in a miraculous hot tub boning accident. So yeah, I, I think, yeah.
1: I absolutely think both things are true. I think he did actually hurt his knee climbing out of a hot tub, but I, I think because it was that time... He either was doing something in a hot tub he wasn't supposed to be doing. It doesn't have to be fornicating, David. It could be just drinking. He maybe played it off like, oh, yeah, I just slipped and and tweaked my knee when they're like, oh, it's because you were naked, dude, and you were blissed out of your mind on daiquiris. So, yeah, thank you, Dustin, for dropping us uh, that message. I-, I always love to talk about hot tubs and cliffhangers. I always love to talk about Michael Rooker getting it on. Oh, hell yeah. All right, David, is it time to do this thing? Mac? We're going in. Yes, sir. David, what is your history with Yes, Madam?
0: Two weeks ago, you said, hey, let's do Yes, Madam. And I was like, sure. And then I looked it up. Uh, I, I'm not familiar with this movie at all. I um, I didn't know who was in it. I actually, you know, you had mentioned that Michelle Yeoh was in it. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. So I went to look up the rest of the cast and saw that Cynthia Rothrock was in it. And that got me very, very excited because this is my first Cynthia Rothrock movie. Uh, that was a name that I recognized from video stores since I was a little kid from about 11 or 12 years old. She was in so many movies, but... At the time as a kid, you know, I kind of had this snobbishness about uh, well action in general. I wasn't really big into action as a kid, but also like direct-to-video movies. Like I thought there was a lesser quality to them or why even bother to watch them if they're not going to be a part of the the regular conversation at school. So I just skipped them. But like when this show came up, when Punch-Mountain came up as an idea, Cynthia Rothrock was one of the first names I thought of where it was like, "Oh good, I get to atone for this dead spot in my movie history. I get to watch Stuff like this, so I was very excited about it. Uh, What about you, Mac? What's what's your history?
1: Yeah, same kind of thing. Like I was familiar with Cynthia Rothrock, just the name, but I'd never seen anything. Like Michael Dudikoff, I know is like an action dude from the '80s, but I've never seen any of the American Ninjas. Uh, Chuck Norris was kind of like that for a while. Like I don't think I saw Delta Force, my first Chuck Norris movie, until in my '30s, I guess. Uh, Everyone remembers their first time with Delta Force, David. But in terms of yes, Madam, I had seen a clip posted online. Two women just beating up like a room full of dudes. And then I was like, what? This clip is awesome. What movie is this from? And I was like, oh my goodness, that's Michelle Yao. Like a very young 1985 Michelle Yao. You know, we were looking for movies to do. And I was like, you know, let me check out what are some good Michelle Yao movies in terms of action. I looked up a list and uh, top of the list was Crouch, Tiger, Hidden Dragon. And I was like, I think that movie might be too boring. I remember being a little bit bored by it in theaters. uh, But I don't know. Maybe it's great. But then also Yes, Madam was on there. I was like, there we go. Let's, let's do that. So that, that's my history. Not not a whole lot. Okay, I buy that. In fact, I was so unfamiliar with this movie, David, I started watching a different version of it accidentally. Tell me more, Mac. Well, this movie, it's been released and re-released under a bunch of different names, right? Like police assassins in Europe. It's also called In the Line of Duty 2, The Super Cops. That's right. Yes. Yeah. In fact, the version that we watched, like if you type Yes, Madam, you can you know rent a movie called Yes, Madam. When the title happens, it still says, In the Line of Duty 2, The Super Cops. When I searched for Yes Madam streaming, a little link popped up. It says, oh, include it with your Amazon Prime uh, subscription. Click here. And I did. And the movie is not called Yes Madam. It's called In the Line of Duty 2, (laughs) The Super Cops. I started watching it, David. And then I was like, huh, this first scene is uh, definitely from a different movie. But oh, well. And then later on, I saw the version called Yes Madam. And I was like, "Uh, "I bet. I think they're probably the same. And I checked, and the uh, version called "Yes, Madam" was seven minutes longer. And I started watching it, and they are—they are definitely different movies, David. Well, for example, in the line of duty, "To the Super Cops" is completely dubbed over in English, and they changed a lot of that dialogue just to match the movement of people's mouths. As we go through this, I'll shout out some scenes that, that did not make it from "Yes, Madam" into "In the Line of Duty" to the Super Cops. But what I'm trying to say is, people—if you're still listening to this, and you're not—you haven't turned it off yet already. Look for the version that's called Yes, Madam. That's the one we're talking about.
0: Yes, this is going to be a little tough. Uh, This is going to be like the driver levels of search engine optimization. Also, to muddy the waters a little bit more, I know that Rift Tracks is releasing a version of in the line of duty to police the super cops or whatever. So, like, Yes, Madam is just going to be gone (laughs) by the time this gets released. No one's going to be able to find it.
1: All right, David. Hey, to get a level set, can you read the back of the box description?
0: You bet I can. (laughs) Michelle Yeoh stars in this action drama as a senior police inspector, Inc., assigned to work with another lady inspector from Scotland Yard to investigate the murder of an agent from the Commercial Crime Bureau of London, who was killed because of the evidence he has collected against a crime syndicate in Hong Kong. As the duo try to work around each other's polarized cultures and backgrounds, they kick and punch their way through the investigation leading to two small-time pickpockets, Strepsil and Aspirin, who had stolen the passport containing the evidence from the agent before he died. As the bumbling pickpockets try to dodge the assassins in hot pursuit, they eventually turn to the lady cops for help against the crime boss. 1985, 93 minutes, directed by Corey Yoon, not rated. This is helpful.
1: Yeah, that's a helpful description. Now, what this is not telling you, David, is this movie... Probably should have been called the Bumbling Pickpockets as they are more of the stars of this movie than the Lady Cops. And if you're like, why did the description have to call them out as Lady Cops? Oh, listener, that's all this movie does is point out that there are women who are cops. Hey, look, they're women. Let's harass them and constantly point out that they are women. Uh, and not not in a good way either. Not in a good way. What am I talking about? Let's get into it. Okay, David, this movie starts with some opening credits. And one of those names in there, I know, Suey Hark. I was like, that's a person who's directed some stuff another name here in the credits i want to give a shout out to executive producer dixon poon oh dixon poon what a terrible name you have i found out that do you know who dixon poon was once married to i have no idea michelle yao
0: oh okay it's very rare that you get a credit that's going to make you stop the movie a minute and a half but we had to make sure this wasn't like some sort of mob name where it's like, oh, I, I owe money, I owe taxes, so let me change my name to Dixon Poon.
1: Yeah, I just wanted to make sure if I, I read it backwards, a ghost didn't appear or something, but uh, no. <laughs> Noop, Nazkid did not. Produce. Oh, no, there's a demon in my room. Whoa. Why did I say that? Okay, how does this movie actually start?
0: Well, we're going to open in a bookstore where some obvious pervert flasher is scoping for his next victim. Unfortunately, he picked the wrong lady just trying to live her life. Police Inspector Ng, played by Michelle Yao, built here as Michelle Kahn who slams the guy's dick into a book and immediately ingratiates herself with the audience. She tries taking the perv back to the station, but her collar gets interrupted by an armored car heist in progress. Here comes our first action set piece we'll call Deadly Withdrawal.
1: So David, after we get the flasher sequence, which by the way, in the version I watched originally was not in there at all. And the version that I watched on Amazon called In Line of Duty to the Super Cops the first scene is clearly from a different movie, but it's an amazing first scene. Just want to give a shout out to it. It was, it was also some sort of robbery.
0: It's really great, but it has nothing to do with Michelle Yao. Yeah, abs-
1: I mean, they, I guess those cops are super as well. But David, this opening scene, the editing and pacing of the action set piece of, of Michelle Yao's character disrupting this bank heist, it, it's amazing, right? I say editing and pacing because it's the way they cut this thing, it feels like a Rube Goldberg device, like a visual one. And like, you remember the game Mousetrap, David? I sure do. Yeah. It's like every shot, something happens, right? Someone lands and they jump up. And the other shot, they land and kick a person. And then that person lands and then rolls over. Like there's no action stopping at some point. It's just like bang, bang, bang right to each other. And some reason, like the editing, the pacing of this initial fight got me so jazzed up. This is my first markout moment.
0: Oh, wow. Right away. Okay. I
1: loved it. I was just, I got so hyped right away.
0: Yeah. They do a really good job throughout this movie with the actual physical fight sequences. You know, the the movement is very kinetic. I particularly like watching. Well, we'll get to them, but there, there's some characters or there's some actors in this movie who just, you know, it's, it's a joy to watch them fight. And this is going to be that, the first instance of that. It's very, it's very affordable action, but it's, it's quite good.
1: Yes. If you're watching this movie for the first time, get ready for Michelle Yao to crush every 1980s look that she is rocking in this movie. Oh my God. The fashion in this thing. It's amazing, but it's great. It's not over the top eighties, uh, but it it, it is, I, I can't describe it. It's, it's just great though.
0: No, this whole intro, she's making a statement like her, you know, her intro into the action part of this scene is, you know, she's hiding behind a car. She's shooting through doors. It's awesome. And this is going to be my first mark out moment as well. Somewhere around here where she actually uh, she shoots a bad guy and then he blood spits into the camera like this thick, rich 70s red blood is spit at the camera. That's going to be my first mark out moment. I was like, OK, this movie is announcing itself and I'm ready for it.
1: Yeah. The opening scene here fucking rules.
0: Yes, it rules. But God Almighty, Mac, did did they get permits to shoot this? Because like when you when the scene first starts, when the getaway comes, and I actually like that, it's a it's a true getaway car. Because as soon as they get out, they shout to everybody around, "Get away!" So I was like, "Oh, awesome." Looking at the crowd's reaction, looking at like the passersby, I'm not so sure they got permission to shoot this movie, Mac.
1: Yeah, David, Hong Kong action movies were kind of filmed like improv everywhere. Where part of the appeal was terrorizing locals you know what i mean like oh i didn't know this was an action movie i think i'm about to get shot oh it is like that's just part of the it's just part of the fun of making these things
0: so inspector ing returns to the station and is greeted like a hero she's even greeted by chief inspector wong played by melvin wong who brings her someone else's flowers and some casual sexual harassment wong asks ing to postpone her upcoming vacation but she says no way and she's off to her hot date with british national richard nornan played by michael harry
1: I want to say in the version I watched, the original version, first of all, the scene where she was greeted by flowers was cut out of the version I saw, which doesn't, why? (laughs) Was somebody editing it like, people don't want to see a woman get flowers? I don't know, but also I'm pretty sure his name was Richard Norman in the version I saw, which is, look, no offense to the name Nornan. It just seems like someone screwed up. I don't know why.
0: You'll notice in the notes, I can't stop saying Richard Nornan. Because it's really, it's an all-time movie name, like Richard Nornan.
1: Look, and if your name is Nornan, if you, if you know any Nornans, let us know, at gmail.com and we'll be the first to apologize. <laughs> but David, again, I, I'm not going to spend the whole time talking about this, but in the version I originally started watching with the dub dialogue, Inspector Ying's boss, Chief Inspector Wong, was like, hey, let's go on a date to celebrate. And she's like, you better stop or I'm going to tell your wife that you got a girlfriend now. And he goes, oh, okay, okay. It's, it's no fun to joke with you, is what he says in the Yes Madam version. Which, right, I mean, that's like perfect textbook sexual harassment. Like, I'm saying something inappropriate. You don't like it. So, oh, look, you're no yeah. fun. Oh, you're the cold fish, all right. Jeez, I didn't know I hired Inspector Bitch. You know, that kind of just like, <laughs> Jesus Christ. But in the dubbed version, he says, Sorry, I won't refer to our amorous past again. Okay, okay. I won't refer to our amorous past again. They didn't have an amorous past in the original script. Whoever read, was like writing the script for the dubbed version was like, No, let, let's have them have dated.
0: Yeah, you can't have a woman exist in this movie unless they're romantically involved with a man. But of all the, you know, this guy's got some nerve because not only is he harassing her and like, hey, go out on a date with me, but then he's also like, hey, I also want you to postpone your vacation because, you know, we need you. You're a super cop. And then one of his points is, well, we're getting ready to roll out an anti-prostitution campaign. And it's like, there was something about that that kind of pissed me off because it's like, Hey, come on, you got to stick around till Thursday. We plan on fighting crime Thursday. Like, we're taking the week off until we roll out this campaign to fight crimes. like, fuck you guys. Let her go on vacation. Yeah, seriously. So from there, we meet up with Aspirin, played by Hoi Mang, and Strepsil, played by John Sham, special appearance by John Sham, who are trying to sneak into this hotel like kids sneaking into the movies. They're trying to break into the hotel room of Mr. Richard Nornan, and so is an assassin named Dick, played by Dick Way, who is somehow able to get the key from the front desk. He makes it up to Richard Nornan's room first and kills him without spilling a single drop of blood. Then Aspirin sneaks in and steals a few bucks and a passport, no big deal, and lets in Supercop Inspector Ng, who suspects foul play in the death of a guy with an exploded apple in his mouth. Mac, Blake, what is going on with this scene? There's a
1: lot going on with this scene. Okay, so this hotel is where Richard Nornan is staying, British National, and that's where Inspector Ng is going to go meet this dude for a drink or whatever. First of all, Michael Harry here, the guy who plays Richard Norton. I wonder if he actually speaks Cantonese because he sure can't speak English, David, because there's... We'll play the clip here. Here's him saying, thank you very much. Here's your key, sir. Oh, huh. thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. That didn't... What did that sound like to you? That did not sound like he got all those words out. I'm hoping there's a medic on site
0: that can help him with uh, whatever he's going through mentally right now.
1: So if Michael Harry, the guy who plays Richard Norton, if he does... If his character is Cantonese dialogue, and if it isn't, I believe it's Cantonese. If it's not, I apologize. If he is the one actually providing the dialogue for that character, and it's not overdubbed. Then great, it sounds like he's uh, he's very fluent in it. But you know, because he's like a white dude playing a British national, I expect him to be able to get out the words very much. Is that? Am I asking too much?
0: Perhaps. Um, but you know, as we, once we get uh, to Cynthia Rothrock, and in the dubbed version, it's some British lady who you know that's not Cynthia Rothrock at all. So I wouldn't doubt it if it's not Michael Harry. This whole pr- the production of this movie feels like one big tax dodge where you can't get any straight answers on like who's providing the dubs, who's producing this movie, what's the name of this movie. It's like it's staying one step ahead of the law.
1: And these two dudes, Aspirin and Strepsil, which I was I'm familiar with that Aspirin, David. Do you know what Strepsil is?
0: I am not familiar with Strepsil.
1: It's a lozenge. Okay. So yeah, that's those are their names. They're breaking into this hotel room and I guess this is one of their griffs is that they dress up like hotel employees you know, go into your room and then just like steal a bunch of stuff and then leave. However, they broke into a room where there was already a dude murdered. And how was he murdered? Well, so underworld assassin Dick shows up with a briefcase full of money and he's like, give us that microfilm. And Richard Norton's like, look, 20 years ago, I might've been susceptible to bribes, but I'm not now. I mean, look, I'm I'm an honest guy. And Dick's like, I'm honest too. I'm so honest. I'm going to shoot you in the face. And how does he do it, David? He grabs his gun, which does have a silencer on it, I think. He sticks it, in an apple. And and then he puts the apple in Richard Norton's mouth and he shoots him. Now, something about this apple, David, has magical properties. One, it makes the gunshot completely silent. Two, it makes it so you don't bleed at all. You can get shot. The bullet doesn't leave your body. It stays, it lodges in your head, but no blood comes out of your head. There's no must, no
0: fuss. This is really one of those, like the one trick that doctors don't want you to know. And that trick is you can kill somebody with an apple. It's like, the cause of death will just end up being he choked on an apple.
1: Yeah, I was excited to try this at home, David, but I have a little hang up about murdering people. I don't like to do it. I haven't been able to test it out, but I'm going to take his movie's word for it. And then when Inspector Ng comes to the room, thinking she's going to meet her friend Richard Norton for drinks, she finds him dead. And how do we know he's dead, David? Because they powdered his face white. They, made him. <laughs> they added some white face powder. I guess he's already a ghost. He's already on his way to becoming a ghost.
0: Meanwhile, you've got aspirin and Strepsil sneaking in. A couple of real inconspicuous dudes. One guy is walking with like a hat and sunglasses and a stick up his ass. And then Strepsil is like smoking in the elevator. It's like, guys, if you don't want to draw attention to yourself, do the exact opposite of what you're doing. So and then when they try to sneak into Richard Norton's room, they do the old credit card trick where, you know, they slide the credit card into the door and open it. Mac, do, do the TikTok generation, do they know that trick or do they even, do you think they're going to try this if this goes viral ever?
1: You know, I thought about that, David, because I feel like it's something you saw a lot in movies and then people kind of talk about whether or not it actually works. As soon as I was watching that part, I was like, oh, does it actually work? I want to go try that because so I, I don't know. I don't know, David.
0: It feels like something that was that people were able to do for six months and then the door frame industry immediately corrected it. But speaking of the versions, you know, the different versions, Yes, Madam versus uh, Super Cops, I-, I was watching the Super Cops version and Richard Norton is looking at the microfilm and reading the newspaper along with it. And he says, This evidence is going to put you away for a very long time, Mr. Tin," Which they don't say in Yes, Madam. So if you're looking, if you're trying to figure out, hey, which version is right for me, if you're a dummy, Super Cops is for you. And I'm not saying that in a shitty way. Super Cops was for me.
1: Yeah, Super Cops might actually have been for me as well. But, David, there's a crucial scene that is not in Super Cops. We'll talk about it later. Unforgivable edit. Oh, no. So, Aspirin, one of the things he steals when he's in the hotel room is Richard Norton's passport. But that passport, David, is where he hid the microfilm. And that is why, for the rest of the movie, instead of these being like these little one-off characters, we have to spend so much fucking time with Aspirin and Strepsil because they have the crucial thing and they don't even know it. Oh, we're gonna talk a lot about these guys.
0: But they, you know, they make their escape. Uh, Inspector Ng, you know, she discovers Richard Nornan. Uh, apparently, he's tuckered out from the exit wound that he's got in his head, and so she realizes, oh, there might be foul play involved. Let me go try try to see who killed this guy. Aspirin and Streps will get away. They go down the stairs. Meanwhile, uh, Inspector Ng has a lot of confidence in the elevator because she's like, all right, everybody, you know, her quick, you know, hurry into this elevator so that we can take it down. And like, I've never seen, I, I can't think of a police movie or an action movie where the hero puts that much confidence in the elevator. It's always, let me go down the stairs and let me beat that elevator. So this was refreshing to see.
1: As a fan of elevators, David, I'm right there with you. Put America's trust in elevators. But David, you're right. Aspirin and strepsil were able to escape, as is Dick, who we think almost gets caught by Inspector Ring, But when she says, hey, freeze or whatever, turns out she's talking to a waiter, not an obvious assassin. So the bad guys take their loot and head to the apartment of their friend Panadol, played by Sui Hark, who sells everything from fake IDs to handguns, but not very well. Aspirin and strep still arrive in time to scare away some small-time crooks who are swindled by Panadol. The three dirtbags are pulling their money to get their old teacher, aka old master, played by TV Samo Hung, out of a retirement home and into a home of his own, supposedly. David, do you know what Panadol is? I don't know what Panadol it is. It is a headache medicine, I believe, a painkiller. So I'm going to call these guys the Medicine Cabinet Gang. Because that is what they are. And why are they all called these things? I do not know. Are they called these things in the original Cantonese? I do not know. Okay. But that is what they are called here. Which is weird because in the Super Cops version, painted all is called Fingers.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes. And I believe aspirin is called Marlin in
1: the first. Yeah. Cops. Marlin. Yeah, Marlin. That's right. That's really bad. <laughs> but first of all, Michelle Yao, Inspector Ring. I mean, is she a Super Cup? I don't know. Because when she was like, hey, wait take the assassin turn around and begin like ominously reaching his hand in his jacket to pull out a gun and she walks right past him and be like uh, excuse me, can you uh give me the names of all the staff who work here? Seriously, a super obvious bad guy. Come on, super cop. You're better than that.
0: Yeah, as if you didn't know from just looking at him you also know from the Halloween music, Mac. Did you did you notice this, the use of the Halloween theme in this movie? CID, there's been
1: a murder. Call the police.
0: Wait, You! bizarre, but it, it made me a, a feared of him the same way I would be of Michael Myers.
1: So when we see Panadol's apartment, these bad guys show up, because Panadol is like, you sold us some, some guns that don't actually work. His apartment is Screwball Comedy Central. It's kind of like, the it's like Marx Brothers, right? They're just like doing all this, these things and it's pretty wacky. We spend so much time with Panadol that I was like, what, is this guy like a famous comedian or something? Because why do we give a, so much of a shit about him? Turns out that that is Suey Hark who went on to direct a whole bunch of other movies. His first American movie was a Jean-Claude Van Damme film. I think it might have been Double Team with Dennis Rodman.
0: I want to say you're right.
1: Which the other crazy thing is Corey Yoon, the director of this movie, also made a couple American action films. And the first one he made was, again, Jean-Claude Van Damme. Jean-Claude Van Damme, say what you will about him. He was really tapped into these Hong Kong directors because he also, you know, depending on who you ask, brought over John Woo. I mean... He didn't like buying the airplane ticket, but John Woo's first American movie was starring Jean-Claude Van Damme. Van Damme has his problems, but he knows some good action directors, I guess. Going back
0: to the to the top of the show and we were talking about, you know, seeing Michelle Yao in this movie, it's nice to see this movie because we're seeing people before they came to America. Because it feels like, you know, after the Hong Kong explosion of the of the early 90s, and then we started to import a lot of their stars, we were seeing them toward the tail end of their career. So instead of seeing Chow Yun Fat in The Killer or Hard Boiled. We were seeing him in Bulletproof Monk, you know, that sort of thing. So it's nice to kind of see, okay, this is going to be where Michelle Yeoh makes her bones. This is going to be, you know, where we get to see a, a Sui Hark appearance. This is, You know, this is fun.
1: Wait, you're telling me that Chow Yun-Fad, star of Anna and the King, opposite Jodie Foster, was an action hero? Crazy. So these goons show up, and they're like, hey, Panadol, you sold us a bunch of uh, bullshit weaponry and stuff. They throw a, they have a grenade and they throw it into his uh, apartment. And, and Pinadol's like, oh, I, I know this old trick. The old fake grenade trick. Can't fool me. And he throws it back out into the hallway. But then the grenade goes off. And we kind of just move on from there. Which, wait, hold on. Did a grenade go off in an apartment complex? Why aren't this place swarming with police? But they never, they don't give a shit. I guess they're, the guy lives in Grenade Alley.
0: You know, he lives in a neighborhood where we don't take anything seriously. Like, like you said, you know, this is a very, this entire apartment just invites screwball comedy. And it's like, man, why was the eighties specifically, why was eighties action so in love with the three stooges? Like you saw it with Mel Gibson and lethal weapon. People just decided, yeah, let's incorporate slapstick elements into action. And, and sometimes it hits and sometimes it really, really misses.
1: Yeah, for sure. And then uh, Strepsil and Aspirin show up and they're like, oh no, somebody's attacking Panadol. We'll pretend to be cops. The thugs are like, oh no, cops, we, we better get out of here. And they start climbing out the window down a rope ladder that Panadol himself was about to use.
0: So this bothered me a little bit because Panadol, you know, he he lures them down. This is a very cartoonish, very Bugs Bunny, this whole thing. And he's like, oh, I'm, I'm too slow to run. You, you guys go first. And they're climbing down the rope ladder. And so he starts to cut the rope ladder to where they they fall, you know, the people going down the ladder. So it's an actual stunt where these people climbing a ladder, you know, climbing down a ladder, they fall. But the particulars of this stunt itself or the shot itself, it's like a rope ladder in some apartment complex in the middle of the night. And if I'm the stunt guy, I'd be a little annoyed because I think I'm going to be in this movie and it's like, I'm going to be a star. I'm going to be, you know, riding a motorcycle in the middle of the day or something. It's like, no, no, no. You're just going to be climbing a rope ladder at 9 p.m. at night. And it's like, you did the stunt guys wrong
1: hey, relax, they'll be uh, kicked through a glass table later. Just uh, your moment will come. But after the goons leave, uh, the medicine cabinet gang, like they kind of spend a little time together talking and you get like a little friendship sequence. And Strepsil, who looks kind of like George Costanza with longer hair, is like, uh, hey, Aspirin and Panadol, you guys always fought with each other, which, I mean, is that where their names come in? Because Aspirin and Panadol are rival painkillers, maybe they didn't get along, whereas they, Mm. they both compliment Strepsil well. I don't know. We give a little friendship sequence here when you realize that these three are friends, even if there's some tension between aspirin and Panadol.
0: From there, let's go to see Crime Boss Tin. Played by James Tien, he swivels chairs into our lives and orders Dick to find the missing microfilm. We then cut back to Panadol, who unknowingly uncovers the microfilm in Richard Nornan's Passport.
1: Great villain introduction here because he's introduced to us with a 360 degrees chair spin. He does something Dave, which is kind of his trademark here, which it's the laugh cut. Where his scenes end with him laughing. That's very
0: reassuring. I feel a lot better.
1: (laughs) So he's like, and then cut. It's effective. This guy, I mean, it's definitely a thick piece of mustache twirling in terms of like, I'm a bad guy. But it works, David, because he's a bad guy.
0: It's terrific. It's like, you know, because immediately he's this like blousy shirted guy in what could very easily be assumed to be a furniture showroom he's in front of like this it's not even a stained glass window it's like a mosaic of colorful pieces it's terrific if you're going to introduce a villain this is the way to do it
1: back at the station inspector ing is informed that richard nornan was working for the uk commercial crime bureau oh okay and he may have had some evidence against crime boss Tin. ing is being assigned to assist an incoming inspector from london meanwhile strepsel reads in the paper that the person they he and Aspirin robbed, Richard Nornan, was murdered the night they robbed him. Strepsil, Aspirin, and Panadol need a plan so they can solve what their old master, Sam hung.
0: After a truly bizarre encounter between old master and his pals and some poor nurse, the old master has some advice for the medicine crew. Snitch on the guy who bought the passport and get the heat off their back. Mac, what's going on with this retirement home scene? See,
1: so yeah, when the medicine cabinet gang realized, like, oh no, the guy who got murdered, we stole his passport, we sold it to somebody else. When the police, if they find the guy who is using Richard Norton's passport, it's going to lead back to us. We don't know how to deal with this. Let's go to the uh, consult with our old master, old teacher in the nursing home, played by Sam Ohung. And you're like, wait, is Sam Ohung uh, that old at this point? No, he's not, David. They aged him up using revolutionary technology called baby powder in the hair. It's uh, it's not convincing at all. It, it looks like something you or I would do in a sketch comedy thing at a small black box theater or something like that. But David, this scene, right? We go to the retirement home and we see three old men and they're getting very excited about something because someone is, I guess, coming in the door. And this one guy's having a heart attack and so they rub some like ointment on under, his, uh, under his nose, I guess, some smelling salts to keep him alive or something. And then in through the door walks a very busty nurse. I don't even know if she's that busty, but the camera I thought was focusing on her bust, if you will, but apparently it's focusing on the silver domed tray of food that she's wheeling in.
0: Yeah. This is one of those, uh, the doctor is a woman that shows my sexism kind of things where it's like, Hey, you thought I was looking at this busty lady. I was looking at that uh, plate of food that she's bringing in, but yeah, she brings in this food and the guys, you know, thankfully I, I don't even know if I should be saying thankfully, but they, they like lustily pounce on this food because they have uh, health ailments. They're not allowed to eat oily food. So it's like, oh, oh, thank God. Thank God they didn't assault this lady, but I sure did feel like they were going to.
1: Yeah, because they pulled down her lab coat halfway so she can't move her arms. And then they steal the plate of chicken and start eating it in front of her. And then I guess the head matron of the nursing home comes in and she's like, hey, don't eat that. That's oily food. Then they all spit it out. But also, if that food, that chicken was not for them, why was this nurse wheeling it into their room? There's no one else there. It just, it doesn't make sense at all. And the fact that they are three people obviously not that old with the baby powder in their hair i don't know what's going on with this scene and i'll tell you that this scene was cut from the super cops version which on one hand i understand why on the other hand this scene is so bizarre that you can't you can't cut this thing
0: well but i also love that it's like it's sam oh hung who at this point you know he's a star he's a director like he's a pretty big name he's doing a special appearance so for him to be in a scene that could otherwise be cut entirely, like one version has Sam hung, one version does not have Sam O'Hung, It's pretty great.
1: It is. It is something. But yeah, the old master, old teacher, he says, look, you, you got to snitch on this guy. So that's what Panadol does. He, uh, he calls the police. He's like, hey, uh, the guy who stole the passport, he's departing today.
0: And, and meanwhile, you know, um, Inspector Ng is back at the office or she's back at the station talking with. Uh, the guys who bring in the the autopsy report from Richard Norton, they're like, oh, yeah, he was killed by a bullet. And so they they're, you know, they're postulating. There's like, hey, you don't think he was killed by a professional killer, do you? And so Inspector Ng says, do you know how many professional killers they are in the world? In yes, ma'am, she says world in super cop. she says city. It's a small difference. Uh, they go, no. And she goes, neither do I. But I know why you don't get promoted. And they go, why? And she goes, because you're stupid. And it was the delivery of that, like, even with even with subtitles, just Michelle Yao's positioning of like the confidence in her delivery, so good. I loved it so much. Because <laughs> he is
1: stupid. She's got him there. They are pretty stupid.
0: So Inspector Ng and her team arrive at the airport to catch the thug with fake passport, played by Eddie Marr, but he takes the wrong lady trying to mind her own business hostage. Investigator Carrie Morris, played by Cynthia Rothrock.
1: It's an action set piece, we'll call Passport to Fury. So David, this action set piece is great and it's got a, uh, a lot of uh, great fighting in it. And uh, the amount of people that go flying in this thing is amazing. <laughs> like people are like kicked over in the conveyor belts. Just everyone is going nuts. People are jumping over guardrails. It's, I don't know, it's pretty, there's some pretty great stunt work in this thing. Sometimes the edits to cover it up are a little awkward, but it doesn't hurt the pacing. I, I definitely enjoyed it. And then, yeah, so Thug with Fake Passport tries to take someone hostage, but it turns out that lady takes hostage is Cynthia Rothrock, who then beats the shit out of him. Cynthia Rothrock playing Carrie Morris delivers like six knockout kicks to this dude who just keeps getting back up. But yeah, I, I still enjoyed it.
0: Yeah, you know, it's a very impressive introduction. It's a very nice way to meet Cynthia Rothrock. The only thing I think they did her wrong on is the fashion because, you know, we've mentioned it already. Michelle Yao looks great throughout this movie. She's rocking that 80s fashion. So it's her cool look versus Cynthia Rothrock's church organist chic. Like this is like a an ankle length dress, uh, a shoulder padded blazer, but she's still kicking
1: ass. She's doing great. Yeah, I agree with you. I don't know what's going on with Rothrock's outfits in this movie, but they just cannot compete with Michelle Yow's. She's just running laps around her fashion wise and acting wise. But uh, you know, kudos to Rothrock, I guess. Also, there's a creepy scene here where the uh, the cops, uh, the Hong Kong police, are like, "Hey, you see this this lady uh, beat up our perp?" Uh, yeah, and then they start being like, "Yeah, I'm I'm." talking some creepy talk, and she can't understand because she's a white lady, she doesn't speak Cantonese, and then in Cantonese, Carrie Morris responds, and then they're like, oh no, she understood all every creepy thing we said. In the dubbed version, they're all speaking English all the whole time, so the fact that they're surprised that she understood them is just, it does not land, <laughs> it just is <laughs> really confusing. But these uh, cops are creepy, and the fact that uh, women are kicking ass is not something that they're like, oh, uh, awesome job, then we're like, hey, Check out what that hot piece of ass did. You know, they're just, they're just terrible people. <laughs> so
0: we go back to the station. And after Inspector Ng and Inspector Carrie Morris quarrel about how to interrogate Thug with fake passport, and after an unsuccessful escape attempt, Inspector Ng just lets the Thug go. The Thug heads straight for Panadol and waits for him outside of his third floor window for another action set piece we'll call Crazy Apartment.
1: Thankfully, Carrie Morris shows up in time to save Panadol from the Thug and possibly murder the Thug. Morris takes Panadol in for questioning, and Inspector Ng asks to take a crack at interrogating him. David, Carrie Morris is just so embarrassing. God damn it. So they got the thug with the fake passport, right? And Inspector Ng is questioning him, and then all of a sudden a leg comes out of nowhere, and like just a foot, Like instead of slamming her hand on down the desk, a, a foot slams down the desk. We cut to a wide, and it's Carrie Morris wearing some weird over-puffy jumpsuit. And she's like, you know, these aren't kindergartners. We're not teachers. I'll show you how to interrogate, which, look, you're a guest in this country, all right? You don't get free reign to beat up suspects. That's for local cops only. But, Mac,
0: you got to realize Great Britain's prime exports include bad cop. So she's just bringing Uh, the bad cop element to Hong Kong.
1: ah, That's very true, Dale. I did forget about that. My apologies. But then Carrie Morris tries to interrogate Thug With Fake Passport, ends up just kind of kicking him around a little bit. And so they're like, all right, I guess we'll take him somewhere. I don't know, but they stage it so he's able to get away. And Carrie Morris is like, wait, his escape, you orchestrated that, Inspector Ng. You let him get away. And she's like, yep. And then Carrie Morris is like, maybe you're the one who murdered Richard Norton. Look, David, at that point, if I was Inspector Ng, I'd be like, and we're done. You know what I mean? Look, you don't like how I do things great. You just accuse me of murder. I'll take the first fucking plane out of here. You know what I mean? I'll buy you the <laughs> ticket myself. Which by the way, There's a lot of like pointing and gesturing by characters in this thing. I'm not sure anyone is earning an Academy Award nomination for this movie. But I will say that based on what I could see, that Michelle Yao does seem to be acting rings around Cynthia Rothrock. This is Cynthia Rothrock's first movie, however. And she at this point is more, definitely more of a martial artist than an actor. So, you know, I'll I'll cut her some slack. But it, it just, it seems like they're just not an even playing field here.
0: For sure. I'll I'll give you that. I'm willing to give Cynthia Rothrock a wide berth because not, yeah, like you said, it's her first acting gig. She started off as, you know, pretty much a fitness model or like a martial arts expert. You know, she didn't, she never really had designs on acting, but on top of all that, she's being brought into a production where she's playing a British person. She doesn't, you know, speak with a British accent. There's just so many obstacles in her way of giving a good performance. I think workmanlike performance is is a okay with me.
1: Yeah, and her, you know, stun work and, and fighting skills are, are awesome in this movie. So, you know, it leaves a little bit to be designed in the acting part, but that that's okay. Uh, by the way, David, Panadol apparently lives in the Double Dare set because his apartment, it's full of little traps and tiny doors. I don't know. Everything in it is, like, wacky. It's just he runs through a little door, and then the bad guy chasing him, he chases him to another room where Panadol slides a cage in front of him. It's just, like, so many little, like, weird traps in his room. And, David, the thing is, it's like, I'm just like, God, are we... We stop spending time in this fucking apartment. I'm so done with it. But David, at some point the thug with the fake passport, he reaches over to grab Panadol. But Panadol, it's not Panadol, David. It's a dummy. It's a dummy that Panadol made to look like him. But the dummy also has a two or three sticks of lit dynamite in its mouth <laughs> and then explodes. David, this was so fucking stupid. That I I marked out. Here's my second markout out moment. It was just the dummy as a screwball committed as this scene is, I was not expecting the old dummy dynamite trick. So it got me. I marked out.
0: Mac, there's three certainties in this world. There's death taxes, and I will mark out over a dummy. This is also going to be my second mark out moment. This whole thing, you know, it's funny to hear you describe Panadol's apartment and it's, it's like a double dare set. And, and to hear the exhaustion in your voice when describing it during what is possibly the most like thrilling sequence in his apartment in the movie. Because, like, I loved those walls, you know, those little gates the, that swiveled and moved. It, the choreography was awesome. It was very, you know, it just felt there was a gleefulness to it that I really enjoyed. But, man, you're right. Like, unless you got something to do here, we, we're we spending way too much fucking time at this place.
1: Yeah, so Panadol has, like, a, a bunk bed, a double bunk bed or something like this. And he jumps on top of the top bunk. And he, you know, he's gleefully, like, little, like, Bugs Bunny-esque. You know, he looks over at the thug with the fake passport and he's like, you know, come, come get me, come chase me. And then when the thug with the fake passport jumps, Panadol pushes off. Apparently the bed is on wheels. And so the thug lands on like something else and Panadol is like onto the next little like trap or whatever. It's it's pretty wacky. But yeah, they manage to fight outside. And at some point, Carrie Morris does show up.
0: Yeah, so she shows up just in time. You know, the thug has Panadol hanging from, you know, Panadol jumps out the window onto some superfluous pipes thank god they were there the thug is waiting for him on the other building he's getting ready to kill him here comes carrie morris the thug is like ah you're a cop you won't shoot me wrong buddy i'm a white cop so (laughs) uh, so she shoots the thug the thug may die may not die we don't know from there but panadol falls and he gets his neck caught in some rope so he's like inches from the ground but he's you know he's going to strangle himself to death so mac this is going to be the second movie in a row two weeks in a row where we have someone who cuts rope with gunfire. Like, I'm coming back around on it. I'm starting to think like, okay, maybe I do like this trope.
1: But David, what happens after it is an amazing edit here. Carrie Morris shoots the rope. Panadol drops toward, out of frame. But then the next edit, he lands in a seat at police headquarters and then immediately gets water thrown on him, which we find out later is the bucket water from a mop. But I got to say that edit going from like falling off a building landing in a seat at police headquarters I, I marked out there i thought that edit was amazing and that was another <laughs> mark out moment for me
0: very cool very nice so when panadol lands in the seat he's back at the police station and carrie morris is is you know interrogating him again and and you know she throws the mop water in his face Is like oh you're nasty i hate you and she goes you know they've given me a nickname around here again we're going to talk about the different versions because in super cop she's called dirty carrie Pretty makes good. sense you Pretty know good. it's a play on dirty harry of course and yes madam she's called nasty foreign chick which i <laughs> there's no elegance to it but i do love it
1: well he even says like uh, she's like what do you think my nickname is and panadol's like foreign chick she's like how do you know he's like well because cops don't have any imagination and another criminal turns around and he's like that's what i've been saying and she's like close it's nasty foreign chick maybe that rhymes in the original chinese david i don't know
0: but then you know so here comes inspector ring she's like all right hot shot you've we, we've we dealt with your barbarian ways for too long. Let me try to interrogate Panadol. And she brings out this binder full of criminals and opens it up and and Panadol's flipping through. And he comes across a photo. Thank God both of them are on there. It's aspirin and strepsil. And the poker face on Panadol <laughs> is shameful. Like you're supposed to be a criminal. Petty or no, you're supposed to be able to not snitch. And and the fact that he is unable to keep from snitching with his face is, is very disappointing.
1: Yeah, so originally he's, He's not even looking at the the pages of the book of suspects. He's like looking right at Inspector Ying while turning the pages, being like, "Look, I'm not taking this seriously." And then he looks down and sees his friends, who so that's who she wants him to find. He might as well shout it out, "Hey, look, it's my friends! What are they doing there?" Oh no, it was pretty bad, but also ah, kind of funny. I don't, I kind of, I did not mind that part. I liked it. Yeah, me too. But David, back to the lair of the laughing boss, Ten.
0: Yes, uh, we're gonna check in on Ten and his assassin friend. I don't know, let's call him G.I. Borat. And he's played by Fat Chung. They learn from Dick that Aspirin and Strepsil regularly play at a local pool hall, and that would be the best place to find them. So let's go there for a scene where Aspirin and Strepsil get hustled by a pro snooker player. Ooh, excitement. When they can't pay, it's up to the tank top gang to shake them down, but Dick shows up to waste the gang and take care of Aspirin and Strepsil himself. It's an action set piece we'll call Pool Hall Brawl, a.k.a. more of these fools, huh? Okay.
1: Yeah, seriously. It's like, at this point, I'm like, yeah, we sure are getting a lot of the medicine Cabinet gang and not a lot of the, I don't know, super cops that we were promised that are in the line of duty. Super cops, too. But, David, you called him G.I. Borat. His name is Mad Dog. And Mad Dog is wearing some, um I would say, non-realistic makeup in this. Mac, is this white face? <laughs> I don't know if this is white face. He's wearing a U.S. military jacket. And he does have a giant fake mustache, and giant fake black eyebrows. It, it looks like an you know, elementary school kid was trying to dress up like Saddam Hussein in a school play. It just, I don't know what it is, but it's not good.
0: And look, if you think we're dancing around who Mad Dog is, you know, the, the reporter's questions, who, what, when, where, why, how, we don't know. It's really not very clear. I think he wants... It feels like he's stepping in and saying, "Oh, Dick's not doing a good job. I'll be the assassin." But then he like, but then Dick shows up. He's like, "How you doing, Dick? Good to see you again." So I don't know what the fuck this guy's doing
1: here. Ten, the supervillain is assembling more people in his super bad guy squad. It just, it, it's a little. It, it I like the cartoonish thought, but it's a little too cartoonish in execution. They might as well have brought in like I don't know, Muttley the dog or something like that. <laughs> well, this is the murder puppet, and then just like I don't know, a puppet shows up. It, it was honestly a, just a hair's breadth away from being a puppet. We get another bad guy laugh cut here. For me, with two jackasses like you working for me, I could use a whole barrel of lucky stars. <laughs> <laughs> cut. Uh, which, again, it, I like that. Uh, I do enjoy it. This is the time, you know, it's
0: the second time we hear the laugh. It's, this is when I determine that it is infectious. Every time I see it from now on, I can't help but laugh along with this guy.
1: So when we meet up with Asprin and Strepsil, they're not just in the pool hall. They're in there trying to like hustle chumps, try and find some people some hustle. And they end up hustling a, a pro snooker player who I, I think is a real dude because they showed a clip of him winning like the billiards championship on TV. Oh, God, we're spending so much time with these dudes. Are they the stars of the movie? I don't know. But they're about to get beaten down because they, they welched on a bet. And then Dick shows up and he beats up the people where they're going to beat up Asprin and Strepsil and then Aspirin and Strepsil are trying to get away, but Dick is on a motorcycle, David. One of the things that motorcycle Dick does to track down Strepsil and Aspirin is he jumps his motorcycle after them, but David Hughes is a very obvious ramp, right? He's driving down the road, and that road has a motorcycle ramp on it, and that is what he drives off of. Uh, Look, I love stunts as much as the next person, but you can't let me see the fucking ramp. If someone's going to do a pretty big jump, you can't show me the trampoline, you know, unless it makes sense that a trampoline is there.
0: Unless the trampoline is egregiously ridiculous, in which case this ramp was, it was like Hot Wheels track. It was so, like, it was a straight up curve along the wall. I loved it so much.
1: My guess is this maybe is the stunt district of Hong Kong. <laughs> it was, that, that's why the ramp was there. That's my only explanation for it.
0: But you know what? Overall, I do not care about this snooker saga. We come back to the pool hall later. I still don't care about it. This whole sequence, the only good thing it does is it makes use of the names Aspirin and Strepsil because Dick comes in and he's looking for them. He's like, where's Aspirin and Strepsil? And some guy says, try the pharmacy and gets his ass kicked. And I was like, that's that's the only reason why you name them that.
1: There you go. That's the whole point of the movie is just set up that dumb joke. Happy now? Happy now? Yes, Madam Crew?
0: I am. But Ing and Morris, they're going to interrogate a bartender looking for info about Aspirin and Strepsil uh, when who should appear but Aspirin and Strepsil. Dick leads them to the men's room for their murder, but here comes Ng and Morris to save the day. But not really, as Aspirin and Strepsil are able to escape, and so is Dick.
1: Kudos to Dick for having the underrated knife belt. Having a knife that's also part of his belt, he's able to use that to threaten Aspirin and Strepsil. But our heroes come come in, uh, Carrie Morris and Inspector Ng, and they try to fight Dick two-on-one, but they cannot beat him. Which, I'm okay with this. I'm okay with like not easily taking down the bad guy because then it's like, oh, they're setting up a final fight later on. I'm looking forward to that. So it's a quick action scene, but it's fine with me.
0: Yeah, you know, it, it, like I said, with the with the action in this movie, it's very kinetic. I enjoy watching them work. Uh, Dickway is my MVP for this movie. Just watching how fluid his body is, uh, working with Rothrock, working with Yao. It's really great. The, this is going to introduce a drinking game that I thought of about halfway through. Drink anytime you have genuine concern for someone's spine. Because there's a moment where Michelle Yao, or the stunt person, I think it's her, right? I think she did her own stunts. Yeah. Okay. So there's a part where Michelle Yao gets flipped onto a sink, and you know it's a sturdy porcelain countertop, and she like goes spine first onto it. And this movie will do a thing throughout where it's slow motions, the most brutal falls and brutal collapses, and I, I'm I'm not one who likes those. But if you are a drinker, you can drink every time you see one for the rest of this movie.
1: Yeah, they'll choose to slow-mo a lot of shots that involve breaking glass. And I won't say that lends itself to slow motion. But yes, there is one scene in particular later on that they slow down where I believe a man lost the use of his legs. But we'll talk about that when we see it. So Strepsil and Aspen realize, like, hey, people are, are really trying to capture us here. We need to find a place to lay low. They decide, like, hey, well, let's try to get arrested. And after a couple unsuccessful attempts to get arrested and thrown in jail to protect themselves... From that raging dick out in the streets, Aspirin and Strepsil then devise a plan to lure Ing and Morris to the pool hall and get their revenge on Snooker the Kid and the Tink Top Gang. But Ing and Morris bail and leave Aspirin and Strepsil to get their asses kicked.
0: Yeah, so once they decide to return to the movie, they go to Panadol's place to see if he can help them retrieve the stolen passport. This whole chunk, Mac, is a whole lot of who cares.
1: Oh, yeah, I, I do not care about it. And the fact that we end up back at Panadol's place again. Oh, I'm so bored with this location. You know,
0: the, actually, you know, this is another part that got cut from Super Cops. The, the extended cop versus meter maid sequence. This lasts so long. It's funny. It's it, There's a charm to it. But like, I, you know, you hired two action stars to be in this movie. Can we can we use those action stars at some point? I, I would have liked to see that.
1: So apparently the actor that played Aspirin, Hoi Ming, did a lot of stunt choreography for this movie. So, yeah, I guess he's, you know, a skilled performer, but I'm super fucking bored by how much their characters are in this movie. But the medicine cabinet gang does, however, realize that the passport was hiding some microfilm, and now they have some decisions to make. Do they turn it over to the cops, or do they try and turn it over to the criminals to get some money out of it? Uh, Aspirin and Panadol, who are used to being on opposite sides of the argument, actually agree in this scene. They wordlessly come to an agreement where they pretend to play along with Strepsel, and they give him some fake microfilm, but they decide to sell the stolen microfilm back to Tin, the crime boss. But at the end, Strepsil thinks that he convinced Aspirin and Panadol to turn over the microfilm. But instead, he has that bogus microfilm, which he then hands over to the police. Now the police have fake microfilm, right? What do they do with it?
0: Uh, So Ing and Morris are going to use this fake microfilm to arrest Tin, but Tin isn't in custody for long. He's released for insufficient evidence, and that's the last straw for Ing and Morris. Ing turns in her badge, and Morris turns in her guest parking pass, and now it's the two of them versus Tin.
1: A classic case of not looking at evidence. Yeah, here's some microfilm that incriminates they and they're like, yes, we'll definitely look at this at some point. It's like, you no, know, you shouldn't you know what it says before you arrest him. I guess they don't need that piece of information. Yeah, this whole thing
0: was frustrating, Matt, because you know, regardless of whether of what they have or don't have, Ing and Morris still think that they have a lead on some incriminating evidence. But if Panadol doesn't call Tin and say, hey, they don't have anything, you, just, you know, just play it cool and sit it out. Like, if not for that phone call, this whole thing goes differently. So I'm watching this thing going, what the what the fuck, Panadol? Like, you've ruined a lot of stuff with this.
1: Yeah, Panadol sucks. It sucks that he is the main character of this movie, apparently. <laughs> Tin and Tin's lawyer are like, oh, uh, not enough evidence. Sorry, police. They're kind of doing like a little, like, bad cop, batter cop kind of thing. Because Tin is a piece of shit, and he's like, look, I'm fine. I, I will just leave for an apology. And his lawyer's like, look, you're so rude to my client. I can't just leave it at that. I'm going to sue you. And then for no reason at all, he decides to tell the uh, female inspectors, he says, go back to the kitchen. Which, hey, that's the part you're supposed to think but not say, you fucking sleaze. Because it really just at this point, it's like overt, like, I also go back to the Just a, you know, shut the fuck up. I hope he gets murdered later. I don't think he does.
0: Well, you know, it's... It- it's a very good bad guy move because it's throughout this movie or throughout the rest of this movie, he's a guy who shoots his mouth off when he knows he's okay. Like he's a very good wrestling manager where like he'll hide behind uh he'll hide behind the wrestler and say all kinds of shit but not get hurt himself. That's kind of what he ends up doing here. But yeah, he says, Go back to the kitchen and then uh, Inspector Ng has a retort where she's like, Oh, I'm sorry, I won't be so stupid again. Next time I'll nail you for sure. And that was pretty great. It was worth it just to have her say, you know what? Fuck you. I'm calling my shot now.
1: But Tin ensures he gets the last laugh because uh, in this scene, when he starts doing his diabolical laugh, he also starts walking out and leaving, which I got to say, David, not a bad move. I think I'm going to start trying to end most of my interactions with other people where I'll start laughing while I'm leaving and then close the door. The sounds of my laugh, my mocking laughter echoing (laughs) through the hallway. So so then we cut back. Inspector Wong is like, hey, you need to leave this dude alone. All right. I'm taking you off the case. And Ing is like, you know, when you take me off the case, you can take me off your fucking police force. And she turns in her badge and her gun. And then Morris turns in her what? Her, like, uh, visitor's name tag? But then also her gun. Look, you don't need to turn in your gun to this dude. He's not your commanding officer. What are they going to have to do? Mail that gun back to the U.K.?
0: Unless it was a loner, unless she couldn't travel with one. And they were like, all right, you're here now. You could use this gun. I also like that, uh, you know, uh, Inspector Wong is like, all right, I've got two tickets. You, you can go on your vacation. You, just go home. And like, you know, Inspector Ng tears up her ticket. She's like, I'm not going on vacation. But you never see uh, Carrie Morris tear up hers because she still wants to go home.
1: Yeah, Inspector Wong here, he's like, look, you know how Tin is. Like, like the fact that you took a shot at the King and missed, your lives are in danger. So now you should get out of here and Inspector Ing tearing up her ticket. Great move. Crucial mistake, though, David. She tore her ticket in half and then f- like put those pieces together to tear it again. No, one tear. One dramatic tear. It doesn't work if you tear it up in tiny pieces. It kind of just... It, it undercuts the, uh, the the drama of the move.
0: But you know what? So they both uh, turn in their gun and badge, and Carrie Morris is leaving the station, and here comes Inspector ring pulling up, and she's like, let's go. And there's been no character development at all in this movie. So this is friends enough for me. Like the fact that they have a common goal and a common enemy, that's all I need friends forever.
1: Yeah. Cause Carrie Morris up to this point has pretty much been kind of like a loud bully and, and Inspector Ng, you know, has just been more uh, subtle, a little bit more relaxed. And so it does seem like Carrie Morris is more hindrance than help. But in this moment where they're united, like, look, we're going to get some justice regardless of whether or not the Hong Kong police say it's okay. Yeah. I'm cool with that.
0: So meanwhile, Aspirin is going to arrive at Tin's mansion, where he tries and fails to make a deal with Tin. His reward? A beatdown. Meanwhile, Morris shakes down Strepsil for information, and Dick shakes down Panadol for the real microfilm. Panadol is shot by Dick and dies, leaving Strepsil to enact revenge on
1: Tin and his men. Classic Dick move by Dick. Shooting Panadol there, I gotta say. So in his meeting with Crime Boss Tin, Aspirin employs a time-tested strategy, which is the Big Dick strategy, right? He puts on a tuxedo and slicks his hair back, and demands to be offered uh, brandy or something like that. Basically, like this crime boss will respect me if I pretend to be a highfalutin man. And of course, it doesn't work. They see through him and they beat the shit out of him. And they're like, "Look, wh- where's the fucking microfilm?" So he's like, uh, "Yeah, it's a it's a Panadol's house." And so, back to Panadol's fucking apartment we go. But I will say, it's about Tin's house, the Tin's like main area of his home. This house is clearly built for a stunt spectacular. Just like look around, like oh, someone will be kicked through that. Someone will jump off of that. Like it just, it's like Chekhov's gun, but it's like oh, this is where Chekhov is going to karate kick some dudes later in the movie.
0: Yeah, these ledges can go. There's an entire like canister full of spears. Like in Roadhouse, this is going to be great. But you know, going back to Tim, he's not a physical villain, but he's a very good villain with his words and with his choices and and where he decides to pick his battles. So Aspirin shows up and again, you know, he's, he's peacocking. He's doing the old Neil Strauss. And he's like, I, I you know, he even says, he's like, I've got four aces. I, I can, I can afford to be arrogant. And so Tim's response is sure. You've got four aces, but what game are we playing? If we're playing blackjack, you've only got 14. Okay. Dickhead. Like if I'm coming to you saying I've got four aces, I'm not leaving any wiggle room. I'm not like I'm holding a 17. No. So yeah. You know, so that's going to frustrate me. But then meanwhile, we're gonna check in with Morris. She's going over to Strepsel. You know, the 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 uh, the net is starting to close in. We're starting to kind of try to figure out what's happening here. And thank God that Morris goes over to Strepsel because we get a shot of his bare ass.
1: Yeah, because Strepsel, relaxing after turning over evidence to the police, he's just taking a nice old bubbly bath.
0: Yeah, and we need a little bit of cheesecake in this in this movie. Something to to move some tickets. So let's uh, yeah, let's get Strepsel's bare ass. Completely unnecessary. But yeah, and that's the other thing too. It's like. Is this a comic moment? Like, we've got 28 minutes left in this movie. Like, the time for comedy is, is past us.
1: You cannot deny the appeal of that John Shum bum, I guess. So they're like, hey, Strepsil, thanks a lot for giving us fake microfilm, you fucking dick. And he's like, oh, shit, the, the real microfilm must be back at Panadol's apartment. Let's go there again. But back at Panadol's apartment, Dick is shaking down Panadol. And he's like, where's the microfilm? And was like, it's right there inside of a plastic breast. What and why and why, David, was the microfilm inside a little rubber breast?
0: I have no idea. I mean, it really is just like the movie being as outrageous as it can using whatever it, it can on set. Like, I don't know, man. I'm kind of starting to check out around this point. And if you're like,
1: wait, what are you talking about, Mac? Okay. Imagine like a rubber titty. That's what it is. Just one rubber titty. And uh he you know, Dick pick peels it off or whatever, kinda like a, you know, pop noise and then sure enough, there's some microfilm under there. You did it.
0: Yeah, it's like something you stick on a wall. Like you pull it out of a cereal box and you just slap it on the wall and you get a free titty to squeeze. It it, it it makes no sense. And then like, you know, Dick has had enough. He shoots Panadol. Panadol's dying, you know, he's fading. And then he's like, Well, you think you have the microfilm, but I have a habit of telling lies. And, like, I'm out. Go ahead and kill them. (laughs) Like, if you're going to keep playing the shell game, which they do for the remainder of the movie, like, you're losing my interest as a viewer.
1: Yes. At this point, death to all screwball comedy. And Panadol does shoot Dick (laughs) and he dies. Strepsil is bereft and shocked at the death of his longtime friend, Panadol. And he shakes loose of the uh, former police women to go get his revenge on tin and his crime men i believe is what crime men like to be called
0: yes the crime men so Strepsils is going to arrive at tin's palace armed with a variety of fake weapons there again there's some shell game with who owns the microfilm before ing and morris arrive to save the day and start the final action set piece we call last stand at laughing guy's lair you know mac i'm not so sure that these are super cops uh, because we'll start this chunk with Strepso, ga- you know, gathering up his fake weapons—the weapons we saw earlier in the movie, the fake gun, uh, the fake grenade, this entire box of of toys, really—and Ing and Morris show up to to bring him in, and and he pulls the fake gun on him, and they step away, they step off to the side and let him go to Tin's house. I'm I'm not so sure they're super at being cops, Mac.
1: Yeah, and they don't—they uh, kind of take their time getting to Tin's house as well. They're just—they don't seem to be on top of it as much as they could be. But when Strepsil arrives, he pulls out a gun. And of course, it's one of Panadol's fake guns, one of those guns that got him in trouble with that that uh, gang of goons earlier in the movie. And that, that gun doesn't work. And so he pulls out another gun, and that gun doesn't work. And he throws a grenade. And that grenade is just, uh, you pull the string, and it plays like Rockabye Baby or something like that. You know, one of those classic uh, baby toy grenades. You know what I'm talking about, David. Everyone does.
0: Oh, my God. The time-honored party favor of the happy birthday grenade that you just throw at the birthday boy.
1: Yeah, so this idea that Strepsil is coming there to beat up the bad guys, and then they very slowly realize he has nothing to threaten them with. We fucking get it, and yet the scene kept on going. It just took forever.
0: It takes so long. It reminds you that these are, I guess, supposed to be the main characters of the movie because we sure are following them for a long goddamn time. But Tin has an awesome move here. I'm telling you, he he is such an underrated villain with his little decisions so he walks down the stairs while Strepsil is struggling with his fake weapons, trying to find the real gun. And Tin's like, "I know those are all fake. You know, go ahead, fire them at me. You know, you won't hit me." So Strepsil fires a couple of guns at him. Tin grabs a nearby guy, uses him as a human shield, and like Strepsil fires, you know, they're fake. the The human shield doesn't get hit, and Tin's like, "Aha! See, I told you. Like, it's a win win for him because." If the guy gets shot, he saves his ass. If the guy doesn't get shot, then he's like, "See, I was right all along." That's a classic
1: villain move. This guy Tin, he knows what he's doing, and he does it pretty well.
0: So, in in the midst of all this, you know, Strepsils trying to have his showdown, but they, then here come Inspector Inspectoring and Inspector Morris, and they they interrupt while the guy who was just used as a human shield is about to pour some gas on Strepsil and light him on fire because he swallowed the microfilm and they want to just make sure they destroy him and the microfilm. So Ing and Morris show up, they shoot the gas can in the guy's hand and it explodes. That was awesome. But then it's like, what does this movie want to be? Like, you know, it's been screwball up to this point, but it's been, well, I shouldn't say it's been grounded in reality. We had a dummy explode. So I don't know what this movie, I don't know what this movie wants to be, Mac.
1: I don't know either, David, but whatever it wants to be, it's about to be it. Because Carrie Morris and Inspector Ng show up, and the bad guy army shows up, and they're going to have a big old fucking fight. And right before the ass-kicking begins, Carrie Morris sticks out her hand for a high five, and Inspector Ng gives her a high five. And David, that high five right before the ass-kicking began, I loved it. I marked out again. Because this is basically them being like, I feel the need, the need for speed. And by speed, I mean a speedy ass-kicking of all these bad guys.
0: I think this is, these are the most mark out moments that we've had an overlap on, because this is also going to be a mark out moment for me. This is the movie is setting it up like Tins like, well, I guess I'll just leave you alone with the crazy 88s and see how you fare. And they're, they're up for the challenge. I thought it was fantastic.
1: Yeah. They beat up so many dudes here. And Cynthia Rothrock does show off some skills. She's like pole vaulting. She's doing some gymnastics. She's great. She even does the
0: matrix fingers at one point. She's like, you know, she gives them the old come here. I almost marked out at that. You know, I'm a little exhausted by this point in the movie but uh, you know cynthia Rothrock's still holding her own
1: yeah at some point Ying, of course michelle yao i think it's her that kicks a dude off of a second story ledge and we slow motion see this real human being fall and on his way down he lands on his back against a table and i guess bounces off the table onto the floor and the slow motion fall first of all is brutal Second of all, the sound effect of him hitting the floor, there's like a bunch of glass breaking sound effects. There's no glass there. It's just like, I guess I'm supposed to believe those are his bones at that point.
0: Well, it's also moans of ecstasy because like they need to buy time for the slow motion. There's
1: like, oh,
0: no, thank you. But, you know, again, this will be the first of a few slow motion moments in this last chunk of the movie. Mac, I didn't think I was going to have one. This is going to be my first JFC moment of the movie because like, I'm truly concerned for the well-being of some of these stunt performers toward the end.
1: Yeah. You know, this one definitely is like, oh my, this is the one where I was like, oh, this guy uh, can save him uh, money on shoes because he won't need them ever again. (laughs) He just fucking got paralyzed and we saw it in slow motion. I hope he's doing okay. I hope that guy just bounced right back up. Uh, Michelle Yao again, just crushing it in like kind of a tracksuit outfit here. Cynthia Rothrock, however, is wearing this like pretty thick coat that just cannot be helping during fighting. And later on in the fight scene, she does take it off. But it's like, she's like fighting like a starter jacket, pretty much. <laughs> it just, it's a, uh, I don't know if that provides a lot of movement here.
0: Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. It's this big bulky coat, and then she takes it off, and there's like a long sleeve terry cloth pole, and I was like, you didn't prepare for this battle accordingly.
1: No, she clearly did not. Not as well as Michelle Yao, who looks like she's gonna wear a little breezy number, a lot of movement, and then it's breathable material. At some point, Inspector Ying, played by Michelle Yao, she does this thing where she's fighting two bad guys. She holds on to a, a railing that has a, a like a glass kind of ledge. And she holds on to the railing, kind of like uh, how you do it on an uneven bar or something like that.
0: Yeah, she spins around like you would spin on a jungle gym. Like if you're sitting at the top rung and you're just like, wee, You know, just to kind of spin around. She does that. But in spinning around, she breaks through the glass on the underside of the railing. And in breaking through that glass, she grabs the legs of two guys who are trying to fight her, pulls them out, you know, pulls their legs out from under them and throws them to the ground.
1: So, David, that would be an awesome move. But the fact that it was an awesome move also involved her going through glass. I marked out my man. That ruled.
0: You don't say that's also going to be another markout moment for me. Yeah, it's, you know, because you can also tell that it is Michelle Yale. Like she's doing the work and it's, it's fucking cool. Yeah.
1: Phenomenal. Uh, phenomenal but now it is time for the final battles
0: yes ing is gonna take on mad dog while morris is gonna handle that dick the police arrive to break it up but only because tin called them for the trespassing ing and morris everyone gets taken in to get this sorted out down at the station Realizing this will just be another victory for the always victorious, always laughing Tin, aspirin grabs a gun and blows crime boss Tin away. And would you believe it? That's the end of the fucking movie.
1: <laughs> yeah. And we get more comments on them being women in this thing like, oh, such beautiful police officers come to arrest me. I hate to complain. Just uh, stop.
0: There was a bit of a sexist moment in the battle between Dick and Morris where Dick hurts Morris a little bit. And he's like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean that. And then she kicks him right back. She's like, I'm not sorry. I did mean that. And, you know, it, it's little moments like that that make Cynthia Rothrock's appearance in this movie very satisfying.
1: You know what else? This is kind of a weird thing to like, maybe. But in, in the way that, like, the apparently The Rock and uh, Jason Statham and their contracts for Hobbs and Shaw, they're like, oh, we get to only hit each other the same amount of times. We have to both land the same amount of punches. Inspector Ng is clearly more capable than Carrie Morris because ing takes on Mad Dog and basically just clowns him, right? Like at some point she jumps and like does like a little like, you know, she's doing like a little pose like, oh, are we still fighting? And then she he's going to use a knife and she's like, oh, you have to use a knife to fight. Interesting. And so he doesn't. But then later on she's like, oh, remember, there's always time to resort to that knife. Like she's just fucking <laughs> punking this dude left and right. And after she's done taking down Mad Dog, she's the one that finishes off that dick. But we're really enjoying the fact his name is Dick a little too much, but <laughs> Way? <Dickway>? no way. Inspector, <laughs> clearly the superior warrior in this movie.
0: Yeah. But, but you know what? It, it kind of feels like GI Borat is a false God in this one. Like he's almost the Goldberg of this movie where the movie is propping him up without us seeing any evidence that he's awesome. So by the time you get to the final battle with Ing, you're just like, wait, what is it? What has he shown me to make me think that this is very scary? But, yeah, she makes quick work of him. She throws him into a pool. Like, you know, this is the final, you know, uh, killing blow where she throws him into a pool. The stunt guy breaks his neck on the side of the pool. But you do a cut to Mad Dog in his face, and he's got glass cartoonishly sticking out of his face. This is going to be another markout moment for me. It's a nice little button on this whole, like... Is it cartoonish? Is it not? It, it, it certainly left a cartoonish taste in my mouth at that one.
1: And David, when you say Goldberg, you mean the overhyped wrestler, not the uh, ABC sitcom The Goldbergs?
0: How, I could possibly mean both. I think they pro- they promoted The Goldbergs without any sort of hype. Of, of course, I mean the wrestler Goldberg.
1: So at some point, Aspirin comes in and Strepsil is like, hey, by the way, they, uh, they killed Panadol. And Aspirin is so mad, he grabs Strepsil's gun, which we think is fake, but thanks to a not really clear flashback. We realized that, no, he's got one actual gun there. And he shoots Dick and then kills him. So even though Dick was, you know, he lost the fight to Inspector Ying, it's basically this dummy aspirin that gets the final takedown of Dick, which I got to say, he did not deserve that. And then Chief Inspector Wong shows up with a bunch of other cops. And Ing is like, I didn't call you. And Tin is like, yeah, I called him. <laughs> I called him for trespassing. <laughs> and so, sure enough, Ing uh, and Morse get arrested and they're all going downtown. Tin, who's just loving it, right? Except when he's like, sorry, I I just like laughing a lot. Like, he even is very aware of the fact that he's laughing quite a bit.
0: Oh, he's even got a line, like, right, you know, right before Aspirin offs him, where he's, he can't stop laughing and Aspirin's so crestfallen by this he's like is there even a god and tin has to chime in and he's like of course there's a god uh he rewards the ones who deserve a happy life like me and it's like oh fuck you so like uh, aspirin was at his breaking point at that point i completely understood it
1: yeah and he was at his breaking point so much that he uh pulled out a gun i don't know if it was a cop's gun or if it was one of panadol's old guns it's still you know on uh strepsil's belt or something like that but he shoots ten aspirin who again he's not the main character's movie but he's the one that shoots both of the bad guys which is great if this movie is called Clumsy Medicine Cabinet Gang again i i think they ugh, they blew it with these dudes well they you know ing and morris did pull swords on dick
0: before the, he gets taken away by the cops so they did have a hand some kind of way. Yeah, it's a bit disappointing.
1: But the final action set piece is amazing. And I did read on Wikipedia that uh, it took 30 days to shoot, which I believe, because uh, it had so much like amazing choreography in it. Apparently, Cynthia Rothrock sustained a head wound during her fight scene with Dick Way. And when filming resumed after her wound was stitched up, a stand-in for Way was brought in to film the shot of Rothrock doing her scorpion kick on Way's character, presumably because Way was anticipating payback from her. So I guess... He was like, "I don't want to be in a scene with her because I, uh, I, I, you know, actually kicked her, and she's gonna do the same for me." Which uh, lost a little respect for you, Dick Way.
0: Yeah, that's a tale of two movies because one person could read that and be like, "Oh, geez, you know, Cynthia Rothrock, you know, being vindictive or whatever." She you know she can't, uh, you know, she can't play fair. But then, yeah, it's also Dick Way knew he fucked her up enough to be like, "She's gonna want to kick my
1: ass." But I mean, movies are littered with like stories of being like, "Oh no, dude, this dude actually punched me" or something like that. So it's not, it's not without precedent. But David, after all is said and done, the good guys are still in police custody, I guess. But the bad guys are dead. And that is the end of the movie. David, how many moms have been this bitch? How many Markout Moments did you have?
0: I had five Markout Moments in this movie. How about you, Mac?
1: I believe I also had five. Not too shabby. David, is this someone's favorite movie? I must ask you.
0: Sure. It has to be. I've, you know, I, I was trying to figure out who's, this would be, like, this is the kind of movie that would play at a comic book store, like, in the background, so I, whoever runs that comic book store, I'll bet this is their favorite movie, and I bet they can't wait to talk about it with whoever walks into the store.
1: Yeah, I'm thinking that the cheesy elements of this movie, I bet that hit home with more than one person. I bet there's at least one person out there who liked those cheesy aspects and likes all the fighting in this movie, and is like, yeah, this worked for me, so... I could see it being someone's favorite just because, you know, the the parts that we all like, the action sequences with Michelle Yao and Cynthia Rothrock, those parts are so good that if that cheesy part hit, then sure, someone's favorite movie. All right, David, time for punch-ups. David, everyone knows we're the ultimate script doctors. How would we... You gotta stop laughing after that. How, <laughs> how would you fix this thing? How would you punch it up?
0: Oh, gosh. If I'm here to tune up a, a script, uh, I'm going to say rewrite this whole goddamn thing. And I'll tell you what I mean by that, Mac. You know, having watched Yes, Madam, and having watched having watched In the Line of Duty 2, The Super Cops, we know that a version exists where you don't actually have to have Michelle Yeoh and Cynthia Rothrock in this. Like, I, I think you should write a version of the script where they are indispensable, where it feels like they actually do factor into the plot and the outcome of this movie. Like, Hong Kong movies feel slow slapdash and feels just sort of, an amalgamation of parts that they can put together and and put in a theater to, to sell some tickets. But if you have Michelle Yeoh and, and Cynthia Rothrock, I, I, I think you need to showcase them. My other note, you know, since we followed the Three Stooges around for most of this movie, since we follow Aspirin, Strepsil, and Panadol, I like Panadol. I thought he had the most energy and he was the most fun in the movie. Let's keep him and let's replace the other two with like a talking alien or a sexy moped or something. Like we really don't need this much screen time with characters we don't particularly care about
1: yeah that'd be my biggest punch-up is keep the best parts of panadol like his wacky crazy apartment the dummy etc but you gotta focus more on the stars of this thing just we had no sense of cynthia rothrock's character really other than her just being kind of like a you know kind of a clumsy bully at some point. point two more punch-ups one that Mad Dog, that Borat character, just toned down that Boratiness. You know what I mean? It just was a <laughs> little too cartoony. Also, David, there's a scene where Strepsil is taking his bubble bath, and in come Morris and Ng. And so Strepsil is now like naked running around his apartment. At some point, he's hiding behind a mirror. And on this mirror is one of those basketball hoops. It was like Nerf hoops. So it's like a suction cup hoop with a Nerf ball kind of hanging from the bottom of the net. And the basketball hoop was kind of like at clavicle height. Now, David, here's here's what you gotta do. Look, if you're hanging a very not a phallic object, David, but a very scrotal object. I really want Inspector Ng in when she was threatening Strepsil they'll be like, look, you better play ball with us to go ahead and squeeze that fucking nerf ball to make it look like if you don't play ball with us, I will do this to your nuts. I was it was literally hanging right there and she did not do it.
0: What a bizarre but effective note. <laughs> I completely understand what you're saying.
1: You gotta use the uh the scene, baby.
0: Gotta explore the studio space.
1: Okay, Dave, let's go into the Punch Mountain video store. And again, this is an all action movie video store. So we have three copies of this movie. We splurged. Because it's all action, what subsections of action would you stock this movie in?
0: Uh, the first one's gonna go in Hong Kong action. I'm very excited to add more as the as the show goes on. Second one is gonna be ladies kicking ass. I hope that's not reductive, but this you know true to its title, this does have ladies kicking ass. The third one, this is gonna be my my wild card. I I, I think it goes in something called bar action, and I mentioned this with you know is this someone's favorite movie. This is the kind of movie that plays well in a bar, maybe with the sound on, maybe with the sound off, but it's just one of those that you kind of look up at periodically and like, oh, what is, you know, there's a dummy exploding. Oh, there's a guy doing, you know, double dare stunts inside of his apartment. There's a giant action set piece going on in the third act. Like it's the the perfect kind of movie to just look up at and see periodically. So I'm gonna go bar action for my third one.
1: Yeah, there's parts of this movie that would play well during a DJ set. You know what I mean? Like I'm hey, uh, I'm mixing it up on the ones and twos, and behind me is uh, is the scene from Yes, Madam. In terms of stocking, I would just add that maybe Michelle Yao gets her own shelf. She because I feel like she's made enough action movies, she should uh, deserve her own uh, special section. Okay, David. Now the most special of sections, the rankings of Punch Mountain. It's time to determine Yes, Madam's place on Punch Mountain, the definitive ranking of action movies. David, where would you put it? Who's up to you and not the all-knowing mountain.
0: I'm putting this solidly in the middle. I'm thinking somewhere in the rock cliffhanger driver territory. The fun is fun in this movie, but the dumb is dumb. It, you know, the action itself is really awesome, the choreography, the, you know, the physicality of the actors, very impressive. But overall, like there's nothing to latch onto with this movie. I don't particularly care about the characters, you know. It's not the worst thing in the world to happen, but seeing the movies that are higher up on this mountain and seeing how they are, are able to be action-y but also develop characters, also develop feelings, also make you care about what happens in this movie, I, I'm putting this in the middle.
1: Yeah, and just to remind people, the top of the mountain right now is number one, Terminator 2, Judgment Day, number two, The Raid 2, number three, Matrix, number four, Prey. And we've done 17 movies so far in the 17th movie, which of course is in the, uh, not not even the bottom of the mountain, but the parking lot attendants chair at the (laughs) parking lot to the mountain number 17 is Chappie. yeah i put this in the middle too because it has amazing sequences but at the same time yeah like you just said it's a little too dumb at at parts and it's a little too unfocused you know because do you care about any of these characters david
0: no not even the ones i care about
1: yeah i care about inspector ing but then she's not in the movie does not reward me caring about her so, yeah, I'd put it somewhere in the middle as well. Oh, my goodness, David. The rocks are tumbling down the mountain. And the golden letters revealing position of Yes, Madam has been revealed. And it looks like Yes, Madam is showing up as ninth on the list, below the rock and above Cliffhanger. So, there you go. Looks like uh, the mountain is spoken.
0: That is smack dab in the middle, and I think that's perfectly fine. You know, I don't want to i don't want to talk down this movie it's it's a fun use of 93 minutes it's just uh it's middle of the mountain fodder
1: some amazing action set pieces the rest of the script does not hold up enough but i had a lot of fun watching it and i was blown away by uh the abilities of michelle yeah so a, a good time and, and happy to include it on the mountain david do you hear that horn oh i do that's the horn calling us to action on this podcast we talk a lot about fictional action heroes but we also want to talk about real heroes taking action for vulnerable, underserved, or underrepresented communities. This month, we're spotlighting the Southern Poverty Law Center, Led by a strong team of civil rights lawyers, the SPLC is a catalyst for racial justice in the South and beyond, working in partnership with communities to dismantle white supremacy, strengthen intersectional movements, and advance the human rights of all people. After each episode this month, Punch Mountain will be making a small donation to the Southern Poverty Law Center. Also, for every review we get on iTunes, we'll add $1 to our donation, up to a certain amount. Obviously, in case any bots are out there waiting to bankrupt us. And hey, if it's a good review, we'll probably read it on the air. For more information on the Southern Poverty Law Center or to donate directly to them, visit splcenter.org.
0: Folks, don't forget to add us on social media. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Punch Mountain or drop us a line at punchmountain at gmail.com. MacBlakeComedy.com is your source for Mac stand-up. Next week, from 2022 and directed by Joseph Kaczynski, it's Top Gun Maverick. We'll see you next week. Bye, bye.